I know what you guys are thinking. I know what you're thinking. It's about the triumphant return of J.R. Jackson. First of all, it's the first time back on air. Yes, I'm gonna talk about me. Um, back on air with TYT, old school after how long? How long has it been? I even took a week and a half off of work to not talk to you guys. So I have a lot to say. But in the meantime, I do have David Schuster with us today, of course. He's he's the, the, the biggest professional I've ever worked with in my life. And wow, we got your Erlich. standards are, man, I feel so sorry for you, JR. <laughs> You've had such a pathetic life. <laughs> oh my God. Brett Ehrlich, the second biggest professional I've ever worked with in my life. And uh, we're just here to, to, to chop it up, talk a little bit, catch up. By with height? That's just the way it's supposed to be. Can, um, I, can I start with a joke there? Because this, this show's normally what? With with Ben and Jank and sometimes Michael Shore. And so I sort of feel like, and this is a joke that has never worked for me. So sorry in advance. But apparently, like John Warner, the senator from Virginia, he, you know, he married Elizabeth Taylor. And apparently on his wedding night, because he was husband number seven, he said, you know, I'm husband number seven to Elizabeth Taylor. I kind of know what I'm supposed to do, but I'll be damned if I know how to make it interesting. <laughs> is that us? No. I'll I'll tell you what, no. My record is intact. That joke never works. <laughs> anyway, sorry for that. No, no it's, it's what we need. That's how the show always starts, though. Like the panic. That's what I like about old school. Other shows have a plan, and old school seldom really has a plan. And it really, it's terrifying until it begins. <laughs> and then you're in it and you're like, oh, this is how conversations are. Yeah, because you kind of have to add it to, so this is the thing, more inside baseball. Since this is old school, this is what we always used to talk about. The point of old school, for those of you who are somehow fresh to this just this time is, it's a bit of a throwback feel of the way TYT was before. A lot of times, you know, we'd have things we talk about in the news and everything, but there wasn't like a, we're gonna end it right here. <laughs> it was a, let's talk about this. And we're gonna end it at about the time that we're at total exhaustion and our voices no longer work and we're just done talking. So we're just gonna kind of go into this, but who knows where we may go, first of all, with this, number one. And number two, I mean, we may reveal some things, may learn some things about each other and ourselves, but it's gonna make for a great, great episode. I'm glad we have you guys with us. I'm glad to be here. I just, I learned tonight that um, that Brad had been banned from the show. Um, so. <laughs> I feel sort of badly and I'm thinking, well, maybe there's something I can do to make him feel better by doing something terrible myself. I mean, I don't know. I mean, so you told good. Just being bad at the show, I think was what I got wrong. Oh. It's, it's like the show has a certain vibe and Ricky and I, I wanna say at this point, it was like four years ago, just started talking there was, and, and honestly, one of, one of the more memorable moments when I was doing like a Smeagol impression, I really enjoyed it. And I thought that the the whole thing was just to be as like mean and loving to your co-host as you can at the same time. And that's what we did to each other. We busted some chops, but at the end and after like walking off, like bat flip, nailed it. Great episode <laughs> of old school. Someone emails is just like, never do that again. What what exactly is a Smeagol impression? Do oh, it. it's uh, you know, it was like uh, Smeagol is from the Lord of the Rings. Um, 
it's not, it's like the Hobbit that has like my precious. And I haven't done this in a while, but um, it's something do like- it, Do it, do <laughs> it, do it, do it. The little pearls now sound cool. Hobbitses, <laughs> little stupid hobbitses. That's so that was crazy. it. crazy, no, that's, I, I don't- Ban get, him, ban him. <laughs> Maybe that was it. Maybe it's too ta- too much talent for one show. No, it was, that's too spot on. Cause it's one of those things. Okay, my, my kid watches a lot of kid movies, obviously. So things like Turbo with the snail and and a home with the aliens that come and visit. These movies that are successful as a, as full feature length feature films, they make into TV shows on like Netflix or Hulu. And a lot of times they're whack because the animation of course isn't as great because it's not real Pixar. It's like now drawings or computer. And um, and also the voices aren't the same. So Samuel L. Jackson may have done a character in the main movie, but then the backup person is someone who's trying to sound like Samuel L. Jackson, sounding like that snail or Snoop. This is specifically with the with the movie Turbo, and he's always like, "This sucks. It's nothing like it." I said, "Well, why? They're they're doing like a knockoff just for the sake of making more money, so they can't pay Samuel L. Jackson his salary or his how much he's asking for to do a show on Netflix." You kidding me? So. The point of all that being, if they needed to replace the voice for I don't even know what character that was, you would not be able to tell the difference. That's just my opinion. <laughs> for your for, for your impression, uh, Brett, I would uh, not be able it, to tell the difference. And that lane has really been mine my entire career. Basically, if you can get the actual version of that face, go do it. <laughs> but if you can't, maybe Ehrlich's available. <laughs> so JR, you just got back uh, from oh, Louisiana. Yeah. Tell us about the trip. So um, I knew this already. Well, my, my my wife's uh, father's side of the family, they're the Neils, the Neils down there. They're like this the biggest name down in Baton Rouge for musicians. Like there's a family of ten brothers and sisters. Everybody's an amazing musician and artist. My wife is one of them as well. Everyone who's a Neil is an amazing artist, and uh, and it's just a big big family to the point now we've been together for ten years, and uh, eleven years coming up at the end of this year, and. I still don't know everyone. <laughs> Wait, what? There's so many family members. <clears throat> Which, by the way, I can't talk much because if I go back to St. Louis, I've got the same situation where you've got, you know, everyone had 10 kids. Then after that, each of the 10 kids had seven kids. Each of the seven kids has five kids. And so that makes for a lot of cousins and a lot of brothers and a lot of uncles, a lot of aunts, and a lot of second cousins and great grandmothers. And you're like, oh my God, I don't know who everyone is anymore. I never really caught up. So we took a week and a half to go and hang out again, see everyone uh, sweat in the humidity, uh, go to a wedding. It was lovely. Um, and as we got, as we were going in, I was like, yeah, Louisiana, right? Bottom five of states with vaccinations, right? I knew this already. And I just wanted to see, you know, there's always a bit of a, a culture shift when you go to a, a state that's this far away and a city that's that much different than LA. And um, I got there and I was like, I'm just, I just want, I just wonder how much people discuss COVID, talk about it in general with vaccines, and if there's anyone going, oh, you know, not that vaccine. None of that. Actually, no one talks about it. It's like it kind of doesn't exist. Do they wear masks? I mean, do, I mean, if they're yeah. inside so, and all that kind of stuff, where they so make a ins- Yeah, inside you'll see some masks. I'd say 50%, roughly, in each place. Like, you know, there's some places where we ate a lot of food. And in many of those places, 50-50 on the masks. And if you're wearing one, no one's like looking at you going, how dare you wearing a mask or vice versa. No one really bothers anyone. And um, it's just, 
I don't know, I, I had to get over my first initial Southern California guy thing of going, I hope everyone is safe, hope everyone is vaccined up, I hope everyone, but I knew that wasn't the case already. Because we know the stats and the numbers just where they are. And I think the rollout is so much easier in states where in cities and states where we are versus there. I didn't see any huge signs that said COVID testing here or another huge sign says vaccines here. I see it everywhere here. Mm. So like if you want it, you gotta go find it there. Here, if you stumble and trip on the sidewalk, someone has a, a, a vaccine shot and you fall <laughs> on it and they got you. <laughs> you know, it's just it's widely available here and it's probably widely available there, but you gotta go find it. Did you feel unsafe? Did you feel nervous at all? I mean, have you? how are you feeling now? I mean, any sort of symptoms after your trip? I've got a sore throat and it's been killing me since the day we got back. And my voice is starting to go a little bit. And I was like, let's, so it started here. And I was like, if it gets to here, okay, now I'm gonna start thinking again. But. We took a COVID test the day before we left, just you know to make sure. And we're all vaccinated, right? Right. Um, it all came up negative. And in that, it's not a. I guess it's kind of an urgent care, but it's like a walk-in clinic. And you just pay a little money and do your test. And um, we did that. And as I was going back and forth in and out, there was one guy there. Again, this is a medical clinic. The waiting room. There's a guy sitting there with no mask on. He's the only one that had no mask. And I was like. So you're in a medical facility in the bottom, I think it's bottom three states, four states for vaccinations and explosion in cases. I saw some local news report while we were there at, at uh, uh, my wife's uh, grandmother's place. And um, it said explosion of COVID cases in the state, 2000 cases a day. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. I was like, I'm sitting here in it, right? That has like all the trappings of a scene in a movie, right? The scene in the movie is JR's survival experience when finally the Delta area like variant becomes the Omega variant. And and it starts actually like JR, I think you would be of all the TYT people with your family on in Louisiana away from home. That's what I want to watch. Because you and Wyatt are, are, well, Wyatt is into baseball. So Wyatt's got a baseball bat and is just knocking the heads off of like COVID zombies <laughs> and all that. But that moment, it's so much like the, like that's where my mind would go. I haven't left town since the beginning of this. But as soon as I get there, I'd be watching every, cause like if I'm in a plane and someone says like, well, don't worry, these things are safe. As soon as they're done with that sentence, I've seen so many movies, I expect like the entire wing to just fly off the plane. <laughs> so if I'm traveling during a pandemic, you're sure as hell gonna see me expecting like watching the TV to say like, oh no, it's it's mutated. And now I am absolutely paralyzed in fear that it's gonna turn into like a oh, giant, no, everybody's gonna the die. I'll say the right thing, we're in the Delta, that's the Delta, right? Yeah, origins. Delta <laughs> Brad, you sound like you're an anxious traveler, though. Just to, anyway, regardless. You know, I I have been anxious uh, as a traveler. So basically, when I was um, when I was like in high school, I was on a 747 and like an engine blew up. Uh, it was a rough. It was a rough experience. Um, I already, yeah, it was already like my default experience feeling was like, yes, as soon as someone says something run like moderately poetic, the dramatic irony will take over, run the universe, and that plane will crash just because it was such a great setup. 
whatever someone says. Like, you know, you're more likely to die in a car. And then suddenly like a car gets dropped from a transport plane and just ruins our plane. But no, I was, we were flying, we were leaving from um, Denver and about to take off. And I was like, uh, I'm nervous, but I'm always nervous. And we take off in this 747 to fly from Denver to San Francisco. And the plane starts rocking back and forth. And I'm like, that's weird. And uh, apparently so did the pilot because the pilot turned around and landed back in Denver. And it was back in the day when you could take your headset and plug it into your armrest and listen to oh, air yeah. traffic control. Do you remember that? Yeah. Like channel two and nine was air traffic control, which is just like the dumbest idea for someone like me. I'm like, what's wrong with the plane? Let's let's give it as much fertilizer to my already fertile imagination um, as possible. And I could hear in the headset. I'm like, what do they talk about when there's something with like, got us off, got us back on? And the the pilot is sitting there going, you know, breaker breaker one nine. Um, we got about 45 uh, percent energy uh, power on our engine one, engine two. That one's about 10 percent. Engine three is fine, and engine four, um, yeah, we gotta crank it open by hand for it to get going. But uh, once it does does that, I think we'll be all right. We can we can fly about two three and a half hours on it. Yeah. She's like, what the hell? And that plus say anything where if there was a baby on board, I thought I'd be safe and the baby didn't get back on the plane. So I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna die. We take off, it's going back and forth again. And then I look out the window and I see the number three engine, which is the one that was okay. Just there was a giant poof of flame that went away. There was smoke for a little bit and then nothing. Wow. And then and then you and the freaking pilots who I've since learned are like you can fly a 747 on one half of one engine. Like I like having four, but you can ride you can really fly on one half of one engine. They're like it's insane. You can take off with two engines. But if you're flying, you can get home on a half of one engine. And uh they're like so if you guys may have noticed out of the right right side window or whatever it is, port starboard window, um, <laughs> the afterward eastern window. Uh, yeah, we lost an engine, and uh, but it's fine. We're gonna turn around. We're gonna be all right. The other engines are gonna get us back home. Don't worry about it. And everybody starts freaking out. People are crying. I am in Catholic school at the time, and I, not a religious person at all, but I am audibly praying, and I'm like, oh God. Get us on the ground, and then God, get us on the ground, like chanting, like dominant. Like I'm just, oh, and uh, and then I'm just like, okay, okay, get us on the ground, get us on the ground, and then I'm like realizing this version of my prayer is gonna happen no matter what. Like I will end up on the ground. <laughs> so then I have to like, well. Um, I hear my grandmother talking about the Yiddish God, and like she was like, oh, "What God am I talking to right now?" All right, I bet God's pretty smart. Uh, he's probably gonna analyze what I'm gonna say and make sure I gotta say my prayer about not dying exactly right. So, is Lord, please land us safely on the ground? And I'm just like going over and over and saying that until we land, and we finally land like 35 minutes later, back in Denver. And there's a guy who walks around and I'm like, I have no idea. I never want to fly again. I'm freaking horrified. And this dude walks by and goes, you're the reason that we landed safely. <laughs> and he just walks off with his kid. And I'm like, 
Wow. I'll take it. It was just me freaking out and just trying to. And look at what you've done with your life. God spared <laughs> you and look how you've taken your life and done so much great stuff with it. Thank you, just, yes. You have to remember that. <laughs> yep, I, yeah, like this week on Happy Half Hour, I or on Sunday, I think it was Happy Sunday Stream, I did a segment called They Didn't Pick My Story and I'm Angry. So I did a whole segment on rejected like pitches. So I really am contributing. I'm wow. gonna contribute to that segment. You know, my my one travel story, and I, I'm not anxious in the least. I mean, I love flying. I mean, there's nothing that makes me fall asleep faster than when the plane takes off and I'm just like so relaxed. But when I was a teenager, I was going to summer camp. I grew up in Indiana. I was going to summer camp in upstate New York, and we were flying into, I don't know, LaGuardia, Kennedy, whatever it was. And um, and the plane suddenly keeps circling and circling and circling. <laughs> and um, we're, nobody's really sure what's going on. And then finally, the pilot comes on and says, well, you know, we seem to be having a, a little bit of a hydraulics problem with the aircraft. And so we're gonna wait for them to sort of get the runway prepared for us. And I'm thinking, I think hydraulics has something to do with brakes and prepare the runway. And so you look out the window when we finally make the, the, the landing, the approach, and the runway's foamed. <laughs> and there are all the fire trucks that are on the runway waiting for us to crash. We make a totally like normal landing, the brakes work fine, everything like that. Um, and I was like, man, I got something to talk about at camp now. <laughs> because, uh, it was crazy, but you well, know, you, I just figured one of those things. You can always impress like a girl and be like, listen, you know what? So the plane was landing. There was this chump named Brett that was audibly praying and stuff. But you know what? I was just chill. I landed I with me. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it. I can't. There's some people that are like, well, it's in the hands of fate now. And I hate everything about that. Cuz really? it's like that's true, but I can't, I'm not one who's just like, well, people talk about like, well, you've talked to people about when they travel and they're nervous, they're like, yeah, it's fine, but like if I die, there's nothing I can do. I've decided to get on the plane. But I know like as the plane is careening toward planet Earth, I'll just be thinking I sh- even though there was no indication it's totally safe to do it, I would the, the amount of regret and anger I would have as though somehow I should have known better than to fly to Phoenix or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like I can't, I can't. That's what but I wonder, what what would be, cuz you, you guys have both been in situations where the plane had issues that could have been disastrous. I haven't, the worst I've done is some turbulence, um, bad turbulence, but turbulence. And so I've, I, you know, I play scenarios in my head like that. If I'm by myself flying, if I'm with my family flying, what? how do I go out if I know this is it, right? Wow. And this is just my morbid thought process. I've thought of this before. It's like, well, and I'm the guy that you hate, Brett. I'm like, well, this is it. Now, by the way, um, you know, I was yeah. like, should I smile when I go down? Should I look at the ground? Should I look, should I close my eyes? Close my eyes is the worst thing. I actually wanna see it end. because. I don't want to not know when it's going to happen because that's when I'm getting nervous. That's when I'm going, um, no, no, I don't want that. I want to look out the window and be like, there's the ground, just go. I want it, I want to see it because that's my last experience. I want to know it. I don't so want to know it. Everyone else is tucked under the seats in the in the position that they tell and there, there's, there's JR standing up, looking out the window, <laughs> hey, here comes the ground. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like Leonardo DiCaprio at the end of the ship. I'm like, ah. <laughs> Wow. Like, why not? We're here, right? It's over. It's over, right? It's over. But um, what is it I can do about it? Like, honestly, the fear I have as far as death is doing it painfully and old when I can't move or if my brain is gone or if I've got some kind of like, I don't want that. 
I, I just don't want that. That's that scares me is being like, I don't know, even say like 85 years old and just not really mobile. My body doesn't work right. I've got this issue. I got that internal issue. My brain is here and there. I don't want that. I don't want that, man. I, I'll go up in a ball of flames before I want to go up like that. It's just, it's just the way I think because that's scary to me because I don't know how long I'm going to be sitting here in this non-motion state of being an old person that maybe something went wrong with my body and I didn't know what was going to go wrong. And now I'm waiting six years to die. It sucks. Good God. So that, so that, how do you want to die? Like, how specifically do you want to die? No, I haven't got that far because I do believe in, in, Thinking too hard about something and put it in, put it into. You want to secret it into the universe? (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's energy, man. That's energy. Now, if it's happening, if I already know it's happening, I'm like, okay, let's let's go out like this. You know, if I know it's over, but yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's the there's the philosophy that instead of thinking about what do you want to be doing when you die, you just do all the things that you love to do while you're living. And yep. then the odds are that well, during one of those times that you're doing one of these things you love, maybe you have a big heart attack or you just you know get hit by the car that hits your plane or whatever, it is, <laughs> and, that's, you know, and then you're out. Uh, but at least you know you, you're, that way you're sort of thinking about okay, well I'm just gonna you know do what I really love to do, and then hopefully you know the right moment comes. And but I, I actually you know Jr. I gotta say I have a lot of respect for the idea that. You are open to sort of the experience, right? Whether it's an experience of if you get COVID-19 or if you're experiencing a car crash. I mean, most people only have these experiences once. And the choice is, well, we can choose to sort of close our eyes and sort of panic. Or it's, hey, I'm gonna keep my eyes wide open. I'm gonna I'm gonna learn from this at the final moments that I'm alive or whatever it is, and just sort of be a be a witness to it, I suppose. Um, and that's a pretty powerful, powerful choice to be able to make that kind of decision because I think it also suggests then that in other sort of situations of stress and whatnot in your life, that you're also gonna be able to make the choice of saying, you know what, this is a terrible thing that's happening to me, but I'm just gonna, and it's like I have this friend who gets depressed very easily, but he says the easiest way for him to deal with his depression is to walk into that room in his mind where he's really depressed and sit there and be part of it, be present. And that's how it helps him. And I think, you know, it's an incredibly powerful thing where people are able to do that. And that's the problem though, see, it sounds all powerful and, and like courageous from my point of view. I haven't had to deal with much as far as, like that end in my life. I haven't been in emergency situations. I've had friends that guns have been pulled on them and they've been robbed at gunpoint. <clears throat> it's not happened to me. You know, like I haven't had to live out where they say, what would you do if you saw this woman getting attacked by this guy with two guns at her head? Would you say, how would you save her? I was like, I, 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 I've never been in that situation. I don't know if I would become this ninja and leap over the top of him and then snatch his head and snap it. No, like, no, there's no way. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, that and mean, I, I plan that out, dude. Like when something's <laughs> outside making a sound, I'm like, like chair. Knife, like corkscrew. I know where it is now. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm I'm the guy who like almost gets into fights and then talks his way out of it. But like and has this like design. Like I believe that I can read every room perfectly. It's not. It never works out. But like I, the thing is, I know I am not. As much as I hate to admit it, I'm not strong enough to overpower anyone. But in my mind's eye, I am planning those things. Like if someone comes into the house, I am going to take the lamp and knock them over the head. And I will have in the moment superhuman strength. No, I do have those plans. You're right. I do have those plans. You know, I, I analyze everything. I know when someone's in the wrong place or someone entered that door and they usually come in here. When neighbors, this is okay, my wife gets on me for this. 
I know when my neighbors are not in town and I keep a lookout for their stuff. And if we're in the, you know, we have a big apartment complex and I know certain neighbors and I'm like, um, oh, I, they have, I know they're not in town, I can just kind of tell. And we've had break-ins in our garage. I keep an eye out on them for me. Like I, I'm, I'm paranoid like that, where I used to keep a bat next to my desk at the old studio at TYT because we had a break-in, two of them. And one of the guys I saw in the studio when I was coming in, he was kind of milling around. And I was like, you need some help with something? And he's like, oh no, and took off. Like quick, hurriedly walked away. And I'm like, so I started, like, it became a thing. People did some fan art with me having a bat in my hand with nails in it. Cuz I always said, <laughs> I keep this bat. So if you want to come back, I'm, I'm never visiting like, JR's studio without an appointment in advance. <laughs> the best is like the, the, the mixed signals, cuz it's a bat on one side and candy on the other. <laughs> he gets all sugared up and just. <laughs> JR, has this changed though? I mean, you're the, the sort of the, the fight or flight instinct. Has that changed since becoming a parent? Um, it's been about the same. Because I, I I would always want to look out for myself first when I was just only cared about me. And then with a kid, it's like it's kind of heightened, but also don't expect anyone to do anything to him. But I keep that. It's like 25% vigilant at all times. Like if someone kind of says, Oh, I like your kid and his hair, I was like, Yeah, you're right. You know, and kind of Make sure I'm in the right, I get in the right positions without people knowing I'm in the right positions. There was this guy again, I told this story a long, long, long time ago. It was what kind of helped born this show. I used to have a Chrysler Crossfire. It's a Chrysler, but it didn't look like a Chrysler. People thought it was like a Porsche one time. Someone else thought it was a, cause it was on the, it was made off of the frame of a Mercedes. So it was a quick little short car, it looked like a turtle actually. But I loved that car. Oh and yeah, was, I know what you're talking about. It's a rare car. And so this guy in like near Beverly Hills, I was in a grocery store at a Ralph's Fresh Fair, which is like the nicest version of Ralph's, which is our local grocery store, right? And I'm opening my back hatch, it's a huge hatchback and I'm putting my groceries in and this guy decides to walk up on me and ask me about my car. Oh, that's a nice car, what is that? Oh Man, it's great, and he's just talking to me and he's just yapping at me. I'm like, hey bro. So I didn't want to say, hey, you might not want to be so close to me because I don't like how you're asking me about my car for no reason This to this extent. I ask people about their cars, but I don't get in their face and go, hey, hey guy, hey, how's that car? So anyway, he was all <laughs> yeah, in my face. I don't get and I don't get that. I don't get that instinct to be like, hi, let's have this conversation now. So weird, like I talk to a lot of people, but anyway, I, I got a vibe. So when I get a vibe, I listen to it. I was like, I don't like this guy. So. You know, usually like you'll protect your face, you protect your body, like if you're fighting, right? You gotta protect both. I did it in a way that he doesn't know that I'm watching him. I looked at him and I was like, oh yeah. And I put my hand on my chin, that's protecting my face. And I put my hand on my chest, like, oh yeah. Because mm -hmm. if he decides to pull out a knife or anything, <clears throat> I'm quick, I can do something, right? And I told this whole story. I had Wait, no let's idea. Let's just say you're talking to someone who's never been in a fight. So I'm like, yep, that makes sense. No frame of reference. No, but wow. I'm just confused about a Chrysler. Somebody's gonna pull out a knife to try to rob you of your Chrysler. Yes. I'm no, looking at his car. I didn't know they sold those to men. No. <laughs> if nothing else, just for the sake of whatever weird, crazy person decides to attack or or what my, my wallet, I don't know, maybe think I got money because this Chrysler that cost me $10,000 is actually, he thinks it's something better. Um, so anyway, again, Brett, I haven't been in fights either. I've been in fights with like cousins, that's not a fight. But I'm like ready 
at all times. And then so I told the story to Jenk and Jesus and whoever else was there that day. And I'm like, JR, you're crazy. You're in Beverly Hills. You think that guy is going to do something? I said, I don't care what I thought he was going to do. He wasn't going to do it. So it's just, I don't know, man. It's so I'm always prepared, even though I've never had to do it. And I've had the whole thing when I thought someone was in my house and I grabbed my bat or whatever. And I just yelled. I was like, hey, you might want to get the F out of here before I get in this room. Cause this is gonna be a problem. Now, if I'm the thief, if I'm the burglar, and someone comes out of the back room and barks at me like that, hey, I'm going, oh, let me get out of here. This guy's serious. <laughs> Cause nobody wants to be caught during the burglary. They just wanna make a clean getaway. So you just make them uncomfortable, put them in a position that, that you almost are in, and now you're in control, bro. I, like, I always wanna be that guy who is able to say in the moment, you picked the wrong house, and uh, you know, or hey, you know, I'm having a really bad day, and I don't, you know, something to sort of make this person think that I'm crazier than he or she is. So yeah. I, mean, I want to be able to, but I'm I'm sort of afraid that in that moment when the adrenaline rush kicks in, if you're dealing with somebody stranger in your house or somebody's trying to steal your car, or whatnot, that my mind's going to be racing and I'm not going to be able to find the words. That I'm just going to be like, what? You want to steal my car? <laughs> my car sucks. <laughs> what? Doesn't make any sense. I got right. You know, when I was at the beginning of my career, I was at CNN and the Washington Bureau, and I was working an overnight shift during the Russian Revolution of whatever it was in the early 1990s. And back, those were the days when you had had little pagers, right? And offices gave you pagers, and you know they paid you if you needed to call the office. So I was going into work at eight o'clock at night. I had a little pager on me. I was walking by the Union Station Metro, and I guess some dude thought maybe I had drugs or whatever. But I'm walking along, and he says. You know, he comes out and he says, Can you, you know, he pops out of a car and I noticed there's him in the, that was out in the car and then another guy was in the driving side, but he pops out of the passenger side and says, Hey, can you tell me how to get to? And I'm thinking, Oh, yeah, I can give him directions. And all of a sudden, then he pulls out this gun and he says, No, I don't need directions. Give me, your, I need your cash. And I'm like, Okay. So I, you know, very calmly take out the 30 bucks. I hand it to him. And he says, Give me that watch. Well, the watch I had was a Timex, and like the week before, somebody had said, "Oh, wow, you got a Rolex watch." I'm like, "No, nah, it's a Timex." So this guy said, "Give me your watch." I'm like, "Hey, it's just a Timex." He's like, "Give me your watch." And I'm like, okay, <laughs> here, take it. <laughs> and right. then I sort of walk along. Well, that you know, then he says, "Okay, just walk along, don't turn around." I walk. And I sort of out the corner of my eye, he pops in the car and they sort of drive off. And then this other person runs up to me and says, wow, I saw that he pulled a gun on you. And I'm like, yeah, thanks for your help. <laughs> I mean, you're just gonna like watch him shoot me. And so I'm like, so I like couldn't, it was ridiculous. And then the cops finally come, you know, 15 minutes or they're like, oh, let's let's drive around the neighborhood and see if we can identify, you know, the car. I'm like, what? This guy could be like halfway to Miami at this point. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, but you know, yeah, my mind was sort of right, like nothing made made sense in that moment. And so I, you know, other than like saying something stupid, uh, the idea of being, you know, really sort of quick witted and coming up with a smart response. I'm afraid that if something like that happens to me, I'll just be like mumbo jumbo. No, I won't know what to say. Unless way, it involves the kids. If it involves the kids, then I'll be like, I'll freak out. Yeah, and yeah, I'll you have to like, but it's, you know, you did the right thing though. But that's the thing, you didn't think about how you would approach that situation, but you approached it perfectly right. I've thought about that situation, and I would approach it the same way, except not tell them this. I mean, look, your Timex was my crossfire. People thought it was, <laughs> yeah, so good. People thought it was awesome, and it was just a Timex. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I I like the I love the concept of being like ashamed that you don't have more for them to steal. <laughs> <laughs> I am flattered, sir, that you thought I had something. 
That is, wow, that is Thank a compliment. <laughs> um, listen, uh, and I'll, let me make it up to you. I'm gonna go buy some stuff. Let me go get cash because you deserve the world the way you're approaching me. But uh, unfortunately, I just have this time. Like, that's the thing, I have a phone. I never have cash. Would they, is it like the way that no one takes cash as much any, like fewer and fewer people like expect yeah. and take cash? Like, do muggers take credit card now? <laughs> They're like, yeah. here, swipe it, swipe it. Yeah, I mean, I gotta, I gotta imagine maybe that's why, maybe in some way, maybe there's gonna be fewer muggings, I suppose, because more and more people gotta assume that, oh, this person doesn't have cash, they have, you know, something, a credit card, whatever. Um, so maybe it's, well, give me your, you know, let's go to the ATM. We're gonna pay a little visit to your ATM and you're gonna put in your code and you're not gonna say a word or give me your credit cards or, hey, just give me your car or whatever valuable thing you have. Um, maybe maybe they're not going after cash as much anymore. I don't know. Well, and we're kind of lucky. I've always said this, we're guys and it's just, it's a harder target. You make yourself the harder target as possible. And then you just fewer people have the notion. That's just, that's the approach. I, my college girlfriend. She was afraid of walking home. It was late at night from college, from her class or something she was at or some study session. And I was working, so I couldn't go and help her. And I said, listen, I said, this is, I don't know if you should do this. Maybe stay where you are for a while. But if you just, if you walk home and you get to a section where you're not very comfortable, just start flailing, walking around really fast and talking to yourself. I said, make people think you're like either strung out crackhead or that you're a little crazy. And, um, People don't kind of don't want to. It's just a lesser chance that people want to mess with someone who they don't think. I said, dishevel, shake your head up, pull half, you know, like be like a messy shirt, and people think, oh man, I'm not going to go near that drug addict. You know, people avoid people that they don't think are worth bothering because they don't want to be bothered. You know, they're just they're a, they're a burglar, they're a mugger, and they want an easy. Give me that Timex, <laughs> give me that thirty dollars. That's clean and easy. If they think if you're broke, they're like, oh, I'm not going to mess with them. It's funny in the chat right now, a fat guy named Tiny has a lot of ways to get away from people who are trying to steal from you. One bit of advice is start trying to bite your own ear. How do you do that? I don't know, but possible? I feel, <laughs> I'm not sure, but fat guy named Tiny thinks that works. And the other one is just give them a creepy smile and super excitedly say, hi, <laughs> hi. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, but if you come across as annoying, then the guy like stabs you or shoots you just because he thinks, well, the planet's gonna benefit from not having this loser on the street. And then in a court of law, it's like your honor. I'm in my own defense, I got rid of a very annoying person. <laughs> so the streets are kind of safer without someone going up to people going, hi. <laughs> oh, it throws funny. them off. Wow. Good God. Yeah. Um, there's some people in the chat. What are they saying? Uh, Barkley T uh, in Twitch says, "Wow, that's an awesome panel. Thank you for that." Chat is really digging the lineup tonight. Per my lovely wife, who is curating comments. Um, Peachy Sherry says, uh, "I'm right there with you, Jr. On the kids movies thing." Mm. What's you can always tell the difference. What are the kid? Are there kids movies that you guys like? Like, what are you, what kids movies do you actually go like? This is not so bad. Any movie that puts the kid to sleep, any movie that keeps the kid on the couch for like forty five minutes without saying <laughs> a word to me or my wife, whatever it is, I don't care. No, I, I like like the Toy Story movies. 
Now, those are pretty fun. I just had a conversation with a friend of a, one of my kids' friends uh, today about Toy Story. Those are kind of cool. Um, it seems like kids are really into um, like the Ninja, the Lego Ninja movies, the animated Ninjago. stuff. Ninjago. Yeah, Ninjago and Lego City and all that. Um, sort of Lego. We made um, and we made a little bit of a mistake. Um, so during the pandemic, we we left New York City, we went to Eastern Connecticut, and um, it was my wife, our two kids, and we we're basically it was just us. We isolated for God knows how long. Well, we made it. We we sort of got into a bad habit of just sort of going on YouTube and like finding things and searching for things to try to entertain our kids, and our kids really got into. Um, trains smashing, and so it started off as like toy trains that you know like. People build these elaborate tracks and then smash them over their pool and then they fall in. Mm-hmm. Well, then there are all these videos of like, it looks like sort of real trains that are sort of as if the camera is inside a train. And then it becomes train smashing, then it becomes car smashing, then it escalates. Then you have like the crash dummies that go flying all over the place. And there's our then three year old like wanting to see these crash dummies <laughs> be like beheaded all the time and losing limbs. And then my wife is mad at me. She's like, why are you letting him watch this violent stuff? And of course, when he plays, he makes his cars smash and all that kind of stuff. So we had to wean him off of that and say, well, YouTube went away. Oh, he'll be back. He'll be mad at you. Yep. You said he's three. My kid is nine. No, he's gonna be back, and he's gonna be like, "Listen, I found the train videos, Dad. They're <laughs> smashed, and you guys told me it went away." He's not gonna forget, bro. Trust. And by the way, it's—I don't know, man. It sounds like something like my wife would probably tell me, "You don't want to see all that stuff," but they're gonna. I mean, if, okay, compared to the way we grew up, so like. Guns and, and and robbers and whatever we did, shooting at each other, man, that's morbid stuff. It wasn't even like a train crash where something, something like that happens. Maybe it's an action movie. This is like, I'm gonna kill you, my friend that lives down the street. It's like, Jesus, <laughs> this is crazy. We talk about how morbid kids are now, but we were pretty, pretty bad. I feel like stuff. it's. I don't know. It goes through cycles. I remember I had like the one, one of my like the cool teachers growing up who's like, here, let me tell you something that's not in the school books. We had this one teacher, her name was Mrs. Shellerup. She was like six four, this giant Scandinavian woman, and she had worked everywhere. She worked, um, I don't know. She she worked in like on a Native American reservation, and she would always tell us like, all right, here's the cool things that you can do if you just want to have fun, like. If you capture a crow, you can cut its tongue down the center and teach it to talk. Like she's that kind of person. She's the one who's like, if you look, you know, like exactly. So it's this teacher who you're like, two options. One, she's right and she's accurate, and she says stuff like, you know, if you look into the fire and you can't look away, that means the fairies have you. Just like straight up, and you're like, she's either totally right or she's totally messing with me, and I'll come to appreciate it later. But she was. She talked to us about um, all the different stories. She was an English teacher, literature or whatever, and she was. She told us all the different fairy tales over the years and how they developed. And I, you know, my age, I'm the sweet spot for like that Lion King, um, Little Mermaid, you know, the classic Disney Renaissance Golden Age or whatever it is, right? Um, and all of those like. Adapted grim fairy tales that made their way into Disney lore as these heartwarming romances of Prince Charming. She was like, if you read the original ones, 
They're taking saws and sawing off Cinderella's step sister's feet so they can fit into the shoe because they want to be rich that bad. And it was back then, and she was like, "Listen, now we're so coddling to these kids; they they don't know what to do with like anger and animosity. So what they end up doing is like repressing it, and then they get all messed up later." But back in the day, they the stories were way more violent, and that's where they got all that stuff out, or at least prepared themselves for a harsh world. But um, now it's Pixar, where it's just like we'll spend the fifteen first fifteen minutes annihilating you emotionally, and then build you back up in our image. That's <laughs> the thing. Like, who does not die? What parent or aunt or grandparent doesn't die in kids' movies? Like, someone has to die. Off the first thirty minutes, or else we don't have a hero. <laughs> I ain't frozen like the the parents die within the first yeah. you know, couple of minutes. And you know, explain when we saw that with our our daughter who was let's see, she's eight years old now. I think we first watched Frozen when she was five, and she's just started bawling. Mommy and Daddy got died in a ship that got sank. She was like, was she inconsolable? And I'm like, God damn it! I mean, stupid movie. Um, what, what? How can they do this to my kid? And but you know. Then again, but I will say one thing. I mean, there is, I mean, everyone talks about, you know, we've got a boy and we've got a girl. And everyone says, well, you know, there are genetic differences. And I'm like, absolutely. The boys love violence. The boy <laughs> loves smashing things and bashing things together. The girl loves the girl loves butterflies and fairies <laughs> and mermaids and hearts and emotions and love. And uh, I mean, and there's, you know, we we try to raise our kids like equal like you know like violence just as much if you're a girl it's okay if you want to be violent <laughs> or if you're a boy if you want to wear pink that's fine but no they like naturally gravitate to things that are so different it's crazy it's crazy i love that i love it. it's like listen we're going to do it right we're not going to do the gender role stereotyping oh. and it's almost like a disappointment where it's like eh. You gravitated towards a little on the nose, kid. It's a little on the nose. Right, and the challenge becomes, so my wife, she grew up with uh, with two sisters, three girls in her family. I grew up with two boys. And so when our son like wants to step on crickets or ants or whatnot, my wife is horrified. I can't believe boys wanna kill things. And I'm like, are you kidding? When we were little, we took the magnifying glass and put it on the ants on the driveway and watched them sizzle. Yes. <laughs> and uh, look, I'm sure it horrified our parents, but that's just like, you know, I didn't grow up like a Jeffrey Dahmer and our son's not gonna do the same. It's just, you know, different interests. But why can't, why can't Zeke, why can't he be more into like arts and crafts and love stories? I'm like, are you kidding me? Why? No, no, I didn't do this. I've told this story before. It was my sister and my brother. They had frogs against a tree and they threw rocks at it. Just annihilated these frogs. And that was just because you know why? There was no internet. There was nothing else to do. That's why we lived out in the country in St. Louis and there's about a million frogs. And then sometimes a frog crawls up a tree and you go, that's some good target practice. And you destroy this frog, right? And you see what's inside of him after yeah. he's destroyed. That's what happens. That's just what happens. We had fireflies and I had this little plastic wiffle ball bat. They were everywhere. Fireflies were everywhere at dusk. Well, like, well, this is batting practice. We smashed and then our, by the end of it, my yellow uh, wiffle ball bat was like sprinkled with firefly lights. I destroyed them. <laughs> it was regular, it was a summertime activity, bro. Because no, there was no Netflix and there was no Hulu. Yeah, and then we'd find a neighborhood dog and we'd just pull it in half. We would just tear it in half. You know, normal boy stuff. You know, and then we graduated to people. Just like we're just being boys. We'd find little babies and we'd skin them. That's it. You know, you just skin babies like normal, 
like normal boy stuff, you know? Just you grow saying. out of it and you proceed to teenagers and and adults and but you do, you know, boy murder. <laughs> Only the ones that go, hi. You've given me a new yes. activity. Now I know how to get the kids away from the TV. They're going to be fireflies, I assume, later this summer. We're going to get out the wiffle bat. I'm going to say, go to town. Hey, all I'm <laughs> saying is you might have a future Ken Griffey Jr. on your hands. You never know, but you, you don't know until you give them the opportunity. So um, just want to let everyone know, first of all, everyone that's been watching, if you've enjoyed this, uh, this lovely, lovely discussion we've had that's gone a little bit everywhere because that's TYT's old school. That's how we used to do it around here. Uh, you go, of course, sign up, become a member, uh, get your chance to see us. We'll see you guys in a second.